Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today's guest is one that I am personally super excited about. With eight Grammy nominations and over 500 million streams of her music worldwide, Natalie Grant has been impacting people with her voice for as long as I can remember. With more accolades than I have time to share, she's had an amazing musical career, but some of the more impressive parts are what she does with that career as a podcast host, author, wife, mother, and co-founder of Hope for Justice, a nonprofit organization in the fight against human trafficking, which has 32 offices across nine countries and five continents, and has helped over 102,000 children in the last year alone. She is making a huge impact, and I'm excited to hear about it today. Here is my interview with Natalie Grant. Natalie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for that intro. That girl sounds busy. <laughs> she does sound busy. I'm like, oh, that is but you made time for this, so that's all that matters, right? Ah, no, this is a joy. I love having conversations. <laughs> Me too. Conversations are what keeps the world going around. I feel like that's why podcasting is so huge right now. People are tired of hearing scripted shows, and if they want to watch yes. Jimmy Fallon, they can do that. They want to hear real conversations. Yes. Enough with the scripted yes. stuff, right? And <laughs> Agreed. I, yes. It's like you have the nonprofit – with 32 offices, five different continents. What the heck? Like, where did that start? <laughs> like, let's start with that. Well, <laughs> you know, it's really funny because um, I was just talking about this story with somebody the other day. And um, I think for me, it's such a uh, like uh, epic story of how I didn't know what I was doing, but there was that nudge inside. I think oftentimes we're waiting for some big bombastic sign in the sky from God or some big like, this is what you're supposed to do before we take a step because it's scary to take a step when you don't know what you're doing. Um, but oftentimes when we just are obedient to that still small voice, that little nudge inside that's like, Hey, I think this is something you should do. And we just kind of say yes. Um, no matter what the cost is, usually in my experience, those are difficult and hard and long and they last and they turn out and they work out for the best. So that's the story with this. It was 2004. Um, I was watching my favorite television show called Law and Order Special Victims Unit, yeah. which is my fave. Um, and they always said that that show was ripped from the headlines, you know? And I think, oh, he's frozen. Are you back? Did I freeze? Yeah, we're still on. No, we're good. I can hear you. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you froze. <laughs> um, so they always say that that show is ripped from the headlines. And as I was watching this episode and they were showing like children being, you know, sold out of the back of a van in New York City, I was like, what? <laughs> like, that is no headline. That's not real life. If that was real life, people would be talking about it. There's no way that's happening. And I can't explain it. But by the end of the television show, I was like, what if that's actually real? <laughs> what if that's happening? We just don't know. And in 2004, I'd never even heard the term human trafficking. And so I literally Googled what is human trafficking. And it took me to something called the Trafficking of Persons Report that's put out by our government. 
So then I was like, hold up. <laughs> Not only is this actually happening, our government knows about it. <laughs> and they know about it so much that they're making a report about it. And I started to read it and I didn't understand a lot of it, but I understood enough to say there are millions of children, most of them under the age of 18, uh, that are being exploited in the worst possible way. Um, a few months later, my husband and I took a trip to India uh, I'm shortening it because it's a long story, but it radically changed our lives. And, you know, a little bit of backstory is leading up to that moment. If you know anything about the music industry or anything about the touring world, um, you have to have sponsors to go on tour. You can't, you can't financially viably make it work. Uh, without having, so you'll see a tour that's sponsored by Coca-Cola, or then you see a lot of tours sponsored by wonderful organizations like World Vision or Compassion International. And, you know, so this is no judgment. I'm just being honest that for me, I didn't have a specific tug. I didn't want to just endorse an organization because I needed their money. And um, so up to that point in my career, I was about five years in and I had been opening on other people's tours at that point. So I didn't really have a say, but I was starting to do my own tours. And I was like, I want to have a passion for what I'm talking about. I don't want to just take somebody's money and say, let's go dig wells, you know, for clean water, even though that's a really worthy and important cause. I hope you know what I'm saying. You know, I just wanted a passion for yeah. it. Um, yeah. And I think that what happened was God was like, you know, he was stirring in me something I didn't even know was going to be a part of my future. And we went to India. We saw children for sale on the street. We toured a brothel because they thought that my husband was a potential customer. I mean, it, it's like things that you feel like you're in the middle of some movie set where they're making a horror film, and it, but it's real life. Um, and I, we say that we were wrecked for life during that trip, came back, uh, kind of didn't know what to do with it, but felt like maybe we could do something. So it started as I'm going to start an organization. I'm going to tell people about it. They're going to raise money. We're going to send it to India and we're going to build a facility that houses, you know, people. And I, that's how it started. We did that. We built a facility um, that now has 300 kids in it in India. Um, but then it was like learning that, wait, I don't have to go across the world to experience trafficking. I only have to go across the street. There was a news report that said they'd broken up a brothel with 12 girls under the age of 18 in Nolensville, Tennessee, which for those listening, that's only one mile from my front door. I live in Brentwood, which is a suburb of Nashville. And then it was like, oh my gosh, this isn't India. This is, you know, this is Nashville. Um, and what started as that grew into, you know, God giving me connections with other people around the globe. And so when you say those statistics of all the people we've helped, I'm really careful to say I'm not the hero. I don't bust down the doors and get the bad guys out, though I want to. And I, I daydream about it all the time. <laughs> I'm not the one that's prosecuting the bad guys. Um, you know, we have lawyers at Hope for Justice who are doing that and they're going to prison. And, but at the same time, I, I do what I can with what I have, which is a platform and a microphone. And I tell the story of how everyday people can get involved in this fight. And everyday people said, yes, we do want to get involved in this fight. And that's kind of how it's continued to grow is really because of the generosity of the people that have helped it to grow.
that is amazing. And the heart behind it is phenomenal. Like you went to India, you experienced these things. It's not like you went on a VR tour or anything like that. It's right. like, <laughs> right. it was real. It. it was real life. I mean, you know, there's some horrific stories. One was where we were, when we were touring a brothel, you know, they were, we're in a, this, old building and you're like I see this in the movie Taken or you know like you just can't wrap your head around the fact that it's real and that one of the little cubicles you know the guy that was with us said this is where a 14 year old girl is forced to work and they had a little rope in there and she they said she has an 18 month old child and she has to tether the child to the bed while she works you know it's like things we can't even digest um in, in where we're living, but to realize that that is how someone else is living. You can't, you don't have a heart beating on the inside of you. If you hear those stories and go, I have to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to do something. So I think, you know, the response, I think most anyone would have a response of, I must do something, which is exactly what we've experienced, which is why the organization has grown as it has. Wow. And was this before or after you were a mother that you had? This was before. (laughs) This is before I was a mom. And before I was a mom to three girls, nonetheless. Um, This was before we were parents. Uh, But then once we became parents, I think that the passion only grew. And also so did the understanding of the problem at that point where you're like, wait a second, these are now kids in neighborhoods in America. This is happening in every country on the globe. Like this is not just an India or a Thailand or a, you know, somewhere in Africa, this is everywhere and people aren't talking about it enough. Um, but now, you know, here we are, however many late years later, that 17 years later, and you know, this subject, I feel like almost everybody I talk to has at least heard the term human trafficking. And so we're making great strides. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, it's, it's such a national conversation now. Mm-hmm. And so much to the point, you actually got to go before Congress and represent. Yes. Which is yes. That- <laughs> yeah. It was, it was the um, committee on uh, foreign relations and I'm sitting there, you know, like where you, you're watching C-SPAN or something and you see like the line, the person talking to then all the senators are lined up and they're talking to them. And I just sat there and literally, <laughs> you can't ever accuse me of not being real. Cause I thought, I think I'm supposed to sound really smart. So I just looked at them all and said, I don't have a clue what I'm doing here or how I got here, (laughs) but I'm just going to tell you my story and how I'm just an everyday person, but you guys have the power. And if I can do something about this, you most certainly should do something about it. And whether you believe in God or not, I do. And you're going to be held responsible for what you do with this information. You know, they're crying. And and so it's this really powerful opportunity, but that has led to now, I can tell you this because I don't know when this podcast is airing because it's it, it hasn't been made public yet, but even just tomorrow, it's becoming public, which I'm so excited about. But Hope for Justice has just helped to pass a bill uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, never before in our law has there ever been anything written in law that addresses labor trafficking, people that are forced to work. Um, 
some of them are five, six, seven years of age. They don't even get one or two meals a day. Sometimes they're literally, they withhold their food. They don't get paid for the work that they do and they're forced to do it. Um, and a lot of businesses all around America get their products from these places, not even realizing. And for the first time ever, a law is being passed. It just passed and we're announcing it tomorrow um, that those businesses are going to be held accountable to make sure that they don't have slavery in their supply chains. And so like when I hear myself even say that out loud, I, I really can't even believe that I'm a part of something like that. But at the same time, I think it's just one of those reminders for everybody listening. You don't have to have a college degree. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to be willing. And when you're willing, it's kind of amazing what God can do through your life. That is phenomenal. gum. You did it. (laughs) What it's for. (laughs) My cool. Now, with with all of this, it just drives me into like, I want to hear the story behind Natalie Grant now. Like, we've heard about the nonprofit. We haven't even talked about the new book. We'll get to that. I feel like I got to hear your story. Like, from childhood up, how did you become this woman that you are now? The mother, the wife, all of it. Well, I think I'm still becoming, right? That's all of us. I still on a journey of becoming. But um, so I was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. Um, I'm a, I live in Nashville. I've lived in Nashville for 25 plus years. Um, but I'm a Seattle girl at heart. I'm a Pacific Northwest girl. I think I bleed rain. Like when it rains here, I get so excited. I feel at home. Um, but I, days, you know, huh? growing, right? <laughs> growing up in Seattle, um, it's not exactly the hotbed of um, Christianity or of faith. Um, They say that Seattle is the least church city in the nation. Only 1% of the population claim to go to church of any kind. So um, I actually don't view that as it was some sort of weird hardship. I, I love where I come from. I love it because I am a person of faith and I learned from a really young age why I believe what I believe, because it wasn't just cultural. It wasn't the thing to do. Nobody really went to church. None of my friends went to church, but I was born into a Christian family. My grandfather was a church planner and was... um, Uh, like held revival meetings and he did that for over 50 years. So it was in my heritage, but growing up in Seattle, it just, you know, wasn't a cultural thing. So church was my lifeline, my community of faith, my friends of faith and other believers were a lifeline for me. So when I moved to the South, I had this understanding like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to be coming to the Bible belt and everyone's going to be Christians. And it's going to be like summer camp. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and I quickly realized that just because you go to church doesn't mean you actually understand what being a Christ follower is, which is what Christian actually means is being a Christ follower. And I was for the first time really faced with what religion is. And I didn't really know that growing up where I grew up. And I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up in a musical family. I sang at my church, led worship at my church, sang in a youth choir, all of that. But I just never had a dream. This was before American Idol or The Voice or where kids actually dream that they can grow up to be a singer. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to sing in my church and be a school teacher. So I went to college um, to get an elementary education degree. And there was a singing group. It's hard for me to kind of describe what it was. It was like, um, 
it was a professional singing group, but they had rotating members. They'd been around for like 35 years, like a Christian menudo for lack of a better <laughs> reference, but and their name's Truth. And they came to my home church and I auditioned for them. And so I, I dropped out of college. Um, I was engaged at the time, but I knew it was a person I actually wasn't supposed to marry, but I didn't, I wasn't brave enough at that time it's funny listening to my story back to me. I'm like, actually I'm braver than I realized at that time, (laughs) but I wasn't brave enough to break off a relationship that I knew I wasn't supposed to be in. It was just like that thing where you're like, I think I'm supposed to get married before I leave college. I think that this is the life plan that I'm supposed to have. And I think that's whether I put those pressures on myself or I allowed other people to put those pressures on me. But when I was just alone with my own thoughts, it was like, but this isn't my dream for my life. This is some other dream that I think I'm supposed to have for my life. Um, And the easiest way for me to break off that engagement was to get on a bus and leave town. (laughs) So that's what I did. I auditioned for that group. I made it. And I was like, this is my ticket. (laughs) I'm going to break it off and I'm going to leave town. So that's actually what I did. <laughs> Praise God. Moved, moved, uh, sang in that group for a couple of years. And then what's interesting is that during my time in that singing group, it's really what God used to kind of show me like, this is actually what I've been preparing you for, but I had to get you out of where you were so comfortable and so familiar to begin to show you that you could dream and believe and think larger than you ever have before. Cause I was thought really kind of small. Um, and I started to notice that when I would sing in this group, it wasn't necessarily even my voice. It was just, there was, it sounds weird to say about yourself, but I could tell that there was an authority on my life, the way that people responded to how I would communicate. And that's when I kind of started to feel like, wait, God's been preparing me to do this on my own. And so I moved to Nashville uh, had met somebody along the way that became my manager and is still my manager to this day. Um, I signed a management contract with him in 97. So wow. we've been together yeah. a long time, um, <laughs> a long time. But, um, you know, I feel like obviously I'm making it sound easier than it was. It, it wasn't easy. It was sacrifice and bravery and stepping out in faith when you're just have no idea if you're going to fall off a cliff. Um, but I kind of feel like those steps that we are so afraid to take are usually the steps that we absolutely must take in order to move forward. If it's easy, it's usually in my experience, not the Lord. If it costs and it's a sacrifice, it usually is the Lord. Um, and that's my experience. <laughs> so came to Nashville, got a record deal, making that sound really easy. Um, Mm-mm. But then after my first record came out, the record company went out of business. Um, so I signed another record deal, um, made another record, and that record came out. And a month later, that record company went out of business. <laughs> so I was like, maybe I was actually supposed to be a school teacher after all. <laughs> like I got, I got something confused because yeah. this is not the way this thing was supposed to play out. Um, but I think again, I, I talked to a lot of young artists who are like, you know, as a female, um, there's not a lot of female Christian artists that go the distance. And, um, that's a whole other podcast we could talk about, about why that might be. 
Um, but I think um, when a lot of young artists, I'm talking to several of them right now that say, how have you been still doing it for 22 years? And not just that you're still, but you're still like in it. You're still yeah. touring and making music and relevant, even though I despise that word. And, um, you know, how are you doing that? And I think it's actually all of those setbacks that made me um, have a determination of why I was doing it, uh, what I was doing it for, and the drive to keep going had to be based on something other than just finding success. And I think that sometimes we look at those that have overnight success and it looks like, oh man, that's God's favor. That's what... Now that's just, God didn't say that <laughs> you couldn't have success on your own. I just think sometimes the overnight success is not building what it takes to sustain it for the long haul. You actually need the setbacks. You yeah. need the hardships. You need the valleys because we learn more about the character of God in the valley than we ever will on the mountaintop. And I feel like that's where the stuff it takes to keep going. It's built in the valley, you know? Mm. Yeah. Have you read the book, The Dream Giver by Bruce Wilkinson? No. That's like a story. I'll DM it to you. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> the I have it tattooed, like the feather in it tattooed on my arm. It's so like, it's so relevant to your story. It maps out like the bi biblical principles of, uh, there's a kid named Ordinary and he walks through all these crazy adventures to get to following the dream giver, right? So wow. the feather lands on his um, window seal, and a lot of people don't follow their feather, which is God's calling on your life. And yeah. he keeps doing it, and the further he gets away from home, the more uncomfortable he gets. But once he starts walking in that calling, it's not uncomfortable anymore. And there are setbacks. Wow. It's more comfortable going back towards his family and stuff. Yes. It's literally some intercessors gave me that book in 2015. I'll never forget it. It was Winter Jam at the Georgia Dome in yeah. Atlanta. And they um, gave me that book and I was like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I can relate with this. And anybody that's wow. listening, like, if you don't feel like you're good enough to chase your call and go get that book, I don't have an endorsement deal with Bruce Wilkinson. He doesn't do <laughs> anything anymore. This book is just so good. It, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> it reminds me of what you just talked about. So everybody just got the cliff notes from Natalie Grant. Like, dang, come. Love like, it. <laughs> it. It's just encouraging to hear your story of like, you had these dreams, you had the setbacks, and here you are yeah. 22 years later, eight Grammy noms. Like, a lot of people don't <laughs> even get one. So to have an eight, that just speaks volumes. <laughs> and I remember the first time I heard of you, Natalie Grant, it was your great name. And I was just like instantly drawn to it. Like the vocal range, like all of it, I've always been a music head. So I was like, dang, yeah. like, this girl got some range. <laughs> oh. Thank you. And then I heard uh, praise you in the storm. And I think you were doing um, uh, a Facebook live or something talking about yes. the cancer journey and kind of how the song related with it. And a lot of people have, gone through these journeys of like, dang, I might die. Like right. or I'm going to die, but I might die tomorrow. Right. right. How did you get through that? Like, obviously there's a lot that maps into that, but yeah, what's the overarching picture? What did you walk away from that season with? So, you know, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer in 2017 and I knew it was the kind of cancer that I was going to survive. Um, 
So I think cancer is scary. It doesn't matter. You know, you're, there's still that 1% chance it went somewhere else or whatever they tell you. But I knew I was going to survive it. Um, the problem is that the cancerous tumor on my thyroid was laying on my vocal nerve. So they said, hey, when we go to cut this out, you're going to be okay. Your voice isn't. You're probably never going to sing again. And if you do, your range won't be the same. Like you're not going to have the same strength. And I think I was faced with this, you know, I had said, because it sounded really good, singing is not who I am. It's just what I do. (laughs) It's just what I do. It's not who I am. It's like, I know who I am, you know? Yeah, that sounds really great and super spiritual until you're faced with actually losing that thing. And I was like, I'm lying. It's totally who I am. (laughs) It's totally who I am. I'm lying. Um, And I was really faced with this kind of a bit of identity crisis of actually, who am I if that goes away? Like, what, what is it that I'm, you feel like your purpose that you've had is being taken from you. Um, and then you realize, well, wait a second, singing was never the purpose. It was just the tool. And God has lots of tools that he gives all of us. And singing was just the way that I was using a tool to get the message of who he is out. Um, and it wasn't an overnight thing for me. And uh, one of the ways is, so my husband, Bernie, actually wrote Praise You in This Storm with Mark Hall of Casting Crowns back in 2006. And they Mark wrote those lyrics for a girl in his youth group that died of cancer that they prayed and believed would be healed, but wasn't. And so I always loved that song. And it was always like one of my favorite songs my husband's ever written. He's written some good ones, but that's one of my favorites. And But then all of a sudden you fast forward 11 years after that song came out and here we are in a storm that we just had no preparation for. And that song became brand new to us, which is really the reason why we ended up re-recording it um, is because I think that oftentimes uh, we forget that worship, in my opinion, worship wins the war, like worship wins the war in our mind. Worship wins the war in our fear. Worship, it just, whether it's through the word of God, which is worship, whether it's through music, worship, whether it's through our singing to God, it shifts our focus from whatever it is that we're facing in that storm to the one who finds us in the middle of the storm. And I think oftentimes we're begging God to stop the storm instead of realizing that he'll actually come to us in the middle of it. And it might still be raging, um, but peace, not like peace as a thing, but peace as a person (laughs) comes to us in the middle of that storm, which is what happened for us. And he brought me to this. It's funny because my voice is stronger than it ever has been after that surgery. So obviously God did a miracle in my voice, but I don't really view that as the miracle. I, um, I know that it's a miracle that my voice is, is okay. And it's stronger and more, my range is greater. It's, it's like the, every it's the opposite of everything that they said would happen. So I understand that's a miracle, but honestly, I view that more as a blessing, like a gift. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Um, so it's a gift that he gave me. Um, which I think is why I'm more like have more passion to do it for him than ever before. But I feel like the miracle was that before I ever knew what the outcome would be, he brought me to a place where I could sincerely say that my outcome doesn't determine his goodness, that he's 
still good and still faithful, even if I don't get the answer that I want, even if I don't get the outcome I want, that God is still good, that my outcome, my circumstances, none of that actually changes who God is. And getting to that place in your faith, it kind of brings a settling, you know, first Peter five ten says the God of all grace, after you have suffered a while, will strengthen, perfect, establish and settle you. And I felt like it was that scripture coming to life in my own circumstance of a, a settling in the midst of difficulty that is supernatural. Um, and I really kind of feel like that was actually the greatest miracle from that story for me. Wow. That that's something. And now I know we need to get Bernie on next just because he's the songwriter. He's <laughs> he is. He's really- incredible. He's an incredible songwriter. I mean, if I just gave you the, like, if you know Thy Will by Hillary Scott or, you know, I'm like, he's Tell Your Heart to Beat Again by Danny Gokium. He's an, an unbelievable songwriter. <laughs> he's actually the better musician in the family. <laughs> <laughs> we just had Danny on and talked about that song in particular. Um, oh. His first wife, Sophia, you know, everything that happened with her. And wow, like just all of these songs. Like I didn't know Praise You in the Storm was about the girl in Mark's youth group that died of cancer. And yeah. these songs have so much purpose and meaning behind them. And um, yes, it's just phenomenal. Like I could go on all day, but I know we got to wrap up. <laughs> I want to touch on your new book that you wrote with your yeah. friend and kind of the podcast, um, Dare to Be. Where did all this start for you? This is awesome. It's really, it's funny because I kind of feel like without even having to um, go into the content of the book, I've told you the book because it's the story. It's, it's how I've lived. You know what I mean? I think that um, there's no just, manual of how to step out and you just do it, right? There's no, like, if you just follow these three steps, then this is how to find success. Now just learn the word of God, believe it. Even when you don't, even when you don't feel it, (laughs) step out in faith when it doesn't make sense, when it doesn't make sense, it's usually God, Uh, but you, you have that tug, but it doesn't make sense. Usually God costs you something always God. <laughs> um, and then somehow he works it together for our good and for his glory. Um, my friend Charlotte Gamble is my favorite Bible teacher. She's from England. We met at a women's conference back in 2005. Um, it was a time in my life that I was a bit just law. I was burned out. I was a little bit disenfranchised with you know, all sorts of things, how business in the church, like I I was at my own crossroads of, oh my gosh, I'm selling Jesus on a t-shirt. Like what is happening? (laughs) You know? And you just kind of come to that, like, oh, along in my journey, um, my husband and I were told we couldn't conceive kids. We were just, it was just one of those moments in life where it just felt really crappy. Sorry for lack of a better word. (laughs) And, uh, I, I meet this girl that I've never met before. Um, we're in this and sorry that I'm going to tell the story quick. Cause I know we're running out of time, but she, um, we're both at this women's conference in Southern California. She just flies in. She's sitting in the, the service that I'm about to sing in. And, uh, the lady leans up that's running the conference and says, Hey, I know you just flew in, but will you take the offering? Charlotte's like, oh, okay, I'm jet lagged, but okay. She goes, and while you're up there, will you introduce the singer? And she's like, who's the singer? We don't even have Christian music in England. This was 2005, you know, outside of delirious. And she was like, here's the bio, just read it out. Well, before that happened, 
while there's the worship happening in the event, Charlotte hears a male voice literally that says, turn around in the back of the room. There's a girl in an orange sweater and jeans, and she has to do with your destiny. And she was so freaked out. She was traveling with her mom and she nudged her mom and she said, this is going to sound crazy, but would you just turn around and tell me if there's someone in the back of this room in an orange sweater and jeans? And her mom goes, yeah, why? How did you know that? She was like, don't ask. Meanwhile, I'm never in, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting ready to play a show, but something in my spirit was like, you are dry, you are burned out. If there's anything I've learned, worship wins the war. So get in there and just be a part of worship because you need it to do the show tonight. So I sneak into the back of the room and I'm a part of worship. And I think for me, it's so important, those parts of the story, because they were the little Holy Spirit nudges, the little, hey, I'm nudging you, go be a part of the worship. I could have said, no, I'm tired. I want to relax before the show, all of those things. But I said, yes, she could have been like, I don't even know what that was. I'm ignoring it. But she didn't. We both kind of followed those nudges. And when she goes up to introduce, she's reading this bio, you know, blah, 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 kind of like you said a bio. And she's like, please welcome Natalie Grant. And the girl in the orange sweater and jeans starts to walk up. And she started to prophesy over my life. Um, She'd never met me didn't know anything that I was walking through, but spoke to every wound that I was going through at that time and spoke such life over me from the word of God. I start to cry and we're hugged. And she's like, uh, hi, I'm Charlotte. (laughs) And that started a friendship that, um, is still going to this day. And it was about five years into our friendship. We were like, God probably did not go to all that trouble so that we could go on vacations together. (laughs) And we decided to put our ministries together and it makes no sense. She lives across the ocean in another country. Um, she's a Bible teacher. I'm a singer, but somehow we thought, you know what, what would happen if we dared to put these together and birthed out of real friendship and out of miracle, what would happen if we dared other women to believe that they are who God says that they are, they find their identity in Christ. If they just take God at his word, if they dared to believe that, how would that change everything? And now, you know, we've had thousands upon thousands of women, you know, make first time decisions to follow Christ. We've given away almost a million dollars to women in need. Um, It's just been incredible. But it started with saying yes in those little small steps. And I, I oftentimes think that that's the part people miss because they're looking for the big. They're looking for the payoff of the dream they have instead of realizing that it's the little steps along the way that actually take them there. And that's really what the book is all about. That is amazing. Girl, you've just got a lot going on. You <laughs> Obviously, you're going to have a music video with you playing Rambo going into all of these <laughs> and such. And, and right. In coming. my mind, I do. <laughs> you're going to have more books coming, podcast episodes, music. Mm. This That's just phenomenal. Like, I learned so much about you myself today, and I'm like, oh, I got to go do something. Like... <laughs> But anybody, anybody can do it. That's the thing. It's, it's not, I feel like in closing, that's what I want to say. Cause I realize that when you get on these podcasts and you tell your story, sometimes a story can sound so big 
It can sound so, because you're getting the big highlights, you know, sometimes it can sound so big that it's like, oh my gosh, that's incredible for her. That's intimidating for me. Like, I don't really know. Like, wow, I better up my game. That's not the point of it. The point of it is anybody and everybody has a call of God in their life. He's actually, we are all carrying something. And some of it may be for a public platform and some of it might be private, but all of it is going to impact the kingdom of God. All of it's going to impact the world for his glory. When we step in and take the risk, no matter how small the step or insignificant it seems, but we choose to take that step, all of us carry an authority given to us by God to change the world for his, for his glory. So, you know, don't be overwhelmed (laughs) because the story sounds big. He's writing your story in a very individual and unique way. (laughs) It all happens when we dare to be Jeez. Right. <laughs> this this was a breath of fresh air. So thank you so much for taking time. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for having me and bless you with your podcast and all that you're doing. See, you are using what you have and what you can give to tell people stories, to encourage others. We're all a part of we're all a part of the same thing, using our giftings to do it. So thank yes. you for doing what you do. Hey, while I go cry in this corner, everybody that's listening, <laughs> go check out the, the links in our description below for Dare to Be, um, Natalie's Spotify, everything of such. We're going to put the link in the description as well for your nonprofit if people feel led to thank give you. or anything like that. Thank you so much for everybody that just tunes in week after week. It's just phenomenal to get to share these stories with you guys. And uh, I... I'm just, I'm blown away from this interview. So thank you to New Release today for making this uh, episode happen. And we'll talk to you guys next week. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcast.